0: Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. We are in the middle of the fastest moving technology shift in our lifetime. And for the majority of us listening, we live through the birth of the internet. So that's definitely saying something. Here's the good news. It's good news. Truly, I have so much to fill you in on. Join me for my upcoming workshop, The Market Shift. It's so crucial to online businesses that I'm offering it completely for free. No strings attached, just pure actionable insights that will help you navigate the coming changes. But that's not all. If you attend live and stay until the end, you'll get exclusive access to my brand new mini course, The Two Click Funnel. Absolutely free. Inside I'm giving you the exact automation funnel I'm running that consistently converts organic traffic into loyal buyers in minutes. Join me and prepare your business for the future. Go to bossproject.com/shift to register now. If you're hearing this, there's still time. Don't miss out bossproject.com/shift. So it's funny, last
1: night you sent me a TikTok video that I so I clicked to watch it, but I had literally just, I was on TikTok watching videos. I watched this one video. I see your text come through. So I go to your text, I click your video and I open it. And like the video isn't loading, like it's not a different video. So I was like, that's weird. So I go back and click it again, not loading. So I close TikTok, open your link again. And it was just the same video. (laughs) It was the one I was just watching and you sent me the same
0: one. I am pretty convinced they do sync things uh-huh. occasionally with people you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not surprised that we both got it because
1: no, no I- I'm not surprised at all. And I need to go down that rabbit hole some more because I don't know a ton of information. But the video that I'm talking about, if you're on Book Talk at all, you probably saw this. If you're a Goodreads fan, you probably saw this yesterday, this week, very recently. An author who had a substantial amount of five star reviews on Goodreads received a four star review and it knocked her down from her five star rating. And the four star person gave a very typical, normal, like just review. It was kind, it was not hateful, it was normal. It was a regular review. Four stars is still really incredible. All of that's great. The author was not pleased and she took a screenshot and went to her TikTok and bad mouth that reviewer, that reader, and literally called her a bitch, which was super unfortunate, and kind of just had a little bit of a moment with this review and what it meant and all of the things. And so that took off, that went viral. I don't know what else she was expecting to happen. And so then a bunch of readers went to Goodreads and kind of spammed this author with one-star reviews. The original four-star reviewer edited her review and said, edited, this author has now personally attacked me, called me out, etc. Changed her four-star review to a one-star. So much so that Goodreads had to temporarily suspend giving reviews for this author's book because they were, it was clearly like, they were it wasn't so- about the book. It wasn't it was- about the book. It was about the author. Mm-hmm. And so thus now has formed a conversation, which I've been on book talk for a while. And, and as an author I, and a voracious reader, I tend to see both sides of TikTok, of book talk. There's a very interesting conversation that this is not the first time that this conversation has come up, but it is being loud right now within the relationship of an author and a reader and how readers... Very protect their space as a reader and do not want to be tainted by authors. And authors sometimes will try to infiltrate those spaces to get seen and build relationships and get their book bought. That's all, that's what we're all after here. But readers like to, and I love this about readers, and I agree with this myself try as hard as we can to remain unbiased and ju- like, we just want to read books and give our opinions about books and not feel like we have to craft this opinion in a certain way because we know this author personally, or because it might hurt this author or whatever. We, I feel like as readers are still kind in our reviews typically, but this kind of crossed that line in that boundary. And it's really interesting seeing the discussion pop up around it.
0: Yeah. Well, and the wildness of it. So after that happened and it went viral and people started giving her a ton of flack for it, she went on to say, y'all can't take a joke. You realize I'm a comedian, right? And she changed her bio to say that she was a comedian. Ma'am, you're an author. (laughs) Yeah. And then I don't know if you saw this, but her publisher dropped her yesterday. I did not see that. (laughs) But for those of you who have never explored writing a book, you may not realize that not all publishers are the same. Like some publishers are like big names, have a lot of PR associated with them. Like the house has long-term respect, all this stuff. Other quote-unquote publishers, are essentially marketing companies that you can pay to publish your book, edit your book, whatever, but they're under the guise that they're a publisher. Well, apparently, and again, this is hearsay, I don't know enough about the publisher to make any sort of claims, but supposedly, this is the kind of publisher that you pay to edit and publish your book for you, and they still dropped her. And so (laughs) the fact that she likely forked over a large sum of money to make that happen. And they still said, we're not going to associate is just wild.
1: It breaks my heart as a reader and an author to hear this. I mean, her behaviors were her choice. I would never have done those. I definitely think there are consequences for those behaviors. And this could absolutely be career ending.
0: A 100%. Over one opinion that rubbed her the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, whether her response was appropriate or not. We've all had opinions of our own work that have rubbed us the wrong way and likely talked about them. I think the, the big difference make, is maybe don't go make a TikTok about yeah, that. That's the difference is like, find your friends oh, <laughs> in friend, your, your safe circle and be like, ah, this thing drove me nuts at work today. Uh, I don't and know. I want to bring like, I wish someone would have brought her perspective
1: in the sense of four stars are still really great. And again, this could be a whole hour-long conversation, but what most people don't understand, or maybe you do, if you're on BookTok, you probably understand this. There's a very strong difference in the review quality and the review meaning on Goodreads versus Amazon. And as an author, you know that, you know that you're going to get crappier reviews Four things that are way out of your control on Amazon. They're going to give you a one-star review because the book came late or it got lost in the mail. They're going to give you a one-star review because the printing was off and they needed to get a new one or whatever, right? You're going to get more of that on Amazon. So your five-star rating on Amazon is not realistic to maintain and everyone knows that. On Goodreads, however, you're not ordering the book from Goodreads. You're literally buying it from wherever you bought it from. And then you're coming to Goodreads to give other readers that review of this book. And it's typically a really thoughtful, thought out review to advise other people about the book and whether, whether they you are- should read it or not, whether exactly. it's worth good
0: time, are you going to enjoy it? All this exactly. Thing. Are there triggers? Like, what did it
1: mean to you? And they're really lengthy reviews and they're really thought out. So to me, like even a four star really thought out review is great. And I think it was just one of those moments where obviously who knows what else was going on in her day at that time. If she had gotten a four star on Amazon, it probably would not have affected her as much as a four star on Goodreads because you know that that four star on Goodreads came from like a real person who read your book and is now rating it this. But man, that sucks. Mm -hmm. And I
0: would not want to be that reviewer right now either. No. No mm Absolutely not. You know, ultimately, could this shift the dynamic of how the Goodreads platform is used? Potentially. Absolutely. I think because, it absolutely could. Because is it going to stop being just about the book and more about the character of, of the, person. the author? Well, and that's a whole other conversation that we could be having in the sense of,
1: you know, in the in cancel culture, right? The thread of that conversation is, can you separate the person from their craft from their art? And there are people who are authors who are not great people who have created great works. And can you still review that work of art, that book, that literature within just that lens? Or is it always now because we're so connected and we think that we know everyone so well because of social media, because of the internet, because of all of these things that the review can never be
0: unbiased? I think with enough separation, the review can be unbiased because the interesting thing with absorbing art or literature in general is you're not always aware of the person behind the work or their intent or their daily life or whatever. I do think with time and perspective and press and media that that can change. And, you know, to me, it comes back to, I think about art history and all the years I literally spent studying this in school. Hitler painted. And so, like, are we gonna continue to think of him as an artist? And no. like absolutely no, not bad things. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's naive to say that we can't fully separate. I do think if there's a lack of awareness or perhaps separation from yeah. the name, then well, sure. Because there are also,
1: you know, and I write under a pen name, so this is part of that aspect. Our last book for book club, Home Before Dark, by Riley Sager, is written by a man. That's a man. That's a white man. That's a pen name that is gender neutral enough, but more femme leading, that even the librarian who picked the book, when her and I were talking about the book, she kept saying, when she was speaking about the author, calling her, her and she, and I said, you know, this is a dude, right? And it like blew everyone's minds because everyone, because of the writing style, because of the book, because it was from a female. Perspective.
0: Yeah. It was from a female perspective and you could um, hear it throughout.
1: Like right. you made a lot of assumptions and it's a hundred percent by a dude. And part of that feels a little dupious to me. And I don't love that because I deliberately choose to not read certain genres of books that are not written by women. And so we all just need to do a little bit of our extra research, I guess, but it was interesting and it was drama and I'm glad to not be part of that drama. And I think we can all take a little bit of a note, even if we're not authors and readers in the client space. Uh, Yeah.
0: I mean, I think this really comes down to, if you were to imagine a reader as your client, you you all are businesses and Your reputation represents more of your long-term career than I think a lot of you realize or put value in. And how you present yourself publicly, it matters. I don't care if you think you have an audience of two. Like If you're putting it on the internet, you are subjecting yourself to what could come at you. And so, you know, I'm not saying you can't be frustrated or have a bad day or dislike a client experience, but you need to find a safe room to share that in. And if it's something that's really bothering you, then I would literally consider paying a licensed therapist because they can't disclose this information Exactly, exactly. Process it with someone who can't, you exactly, because- <laughs> exactly. Then, the therapist
1: knows <laughs> oh
0: lord I don't anyway I'm sure some of them are like should I even have this person as a client I would love to ask them questions but yep well
1: We unearthed an episode that we recorded at the end of 2022 that is still very solid. I know right now leads are feeling a little wonky, and I do feel like our opportunities within the sales cycle could potentially seek some improvements if we are especially seeing less leads than normal. And so any opportunity for you to be able to increase your close rate, I think you're going to take us up on that. And so while this episode was from the end of last year, the strategy still remains effective. And so I want you to dig into this episode that where we walk through our own client and how she was able to increase her close rate by 40% and see if there's a tweak that you might be interested in being able to do in your own sales process. And if you want to follow along with the show notes or dive into any other episodes, head to bossproject.com. But what we came to chat about today is a little bit of the I feel like we're in this season right now, but no matter when you're listening to this, it doesn't matter. But currently in this season, it's the very much like kind of hunker down and focus and refine and really look at how are things working in your business? What's working? What's not? What's the information that these things are telling me so that you can make strategic and educated plans going into the next year? I like to think that this starts now, even if you're not like fully mapping out what next year is going to look like. I want you to start getting this data, getting this information and start picking the places where you want to put your focus on and where your biggest opportunities are. We walked through with our clients this week, like a quarterly optimization training and some of the conversations that we had there. I want to share with you all today so you can do this in your own business.
0: Yeah, I think it's really critical that we every so often really look at our metrics. And when, when we're doing this, I think a lot of people get hung up on how many followers do I have, or how many people are on my email list, or what do these metrics that are pretty front facing, like they're very like top level metrics. Yeah. Not that you shouldn't be paying attention to those things, But I care a lot more about the overall sales process. And for service-based businesses, looking at followers is like really just talking about high-level, top-level traffic, not necessarily about you selling your service. And so I think it's really critical that we look at, well, how many people are landing on your website versus how many people... Are actually filling out your lead capture form of those people, how many are booking a discovery call? How many of those are converting into a pitcher opportunity meeting from there? Hand- here's what I don't want. Let me tell you what I don't want.
1: Before we start all of this, actually, when you're going into a planning session or you're making decisions about what to leave behind, what to do more of, how to grow, how to be sustainable, whatever, whatever, right? And you're like trying to come up with new ideas or outline plans or things, projects and tasks that you could do into the coming quarter, or the coming year. What I don't want to hear from you is, well, I think, insert XYZ. I feel like, well, I assume that, well, it's probably, no. dot, dot, I don't want any of that. I want you to pull up a fucking spreadsheet. Put in the information, go to percentcalculator.net if you don't know how to do math like I do, and I want you to figure out your actual conversion rate at different phases. I want you to figure out the traffic that's actually the source of your lead gen, people filling out your lead capture form. I want you to figure out of those people, like what about them, what qualities about them made them perfect for the next step? And did those people take action or was it a different price point or a different offer or a certain type of industry that or personality type that this person was that actually like, what are the themes? I need you to find the themes.
0: Yes. I'm interrupting myself to bring you something that could change your business forever. I'm hosting a workshop that's so important, I've made it 100% free for all online businesses. Here's what I can promise you. Inside the market shift, you're going to get the most value-packed 90 minutes you've seen in years. I'm going to share the ecosystem that represents online businesses today. You're going to walk away knowing how to create more predictable income and sustainably scale, regardless of where you're starting today. You'll uncover the AI secrets top entrepreneurs use to stay ahead, boost productivity, and secure their future. You'll have the exact equation that's making wealthy people wealthier and be able to steal, copy, paste it before it widens the wealth gap any further. When you attend live and stay until the end, you'll get access to my exclusive brand new mini course, the two-click funnel, absolutely free. Inside, I'm giving you the exact automation funnel I've been running that consistently converts organic traffic into loyal buyers in minutes. Save your seat right now at BossProject.com shift, then share it with a friend. There isn't much time between now and the workshop, so head right now to BossProject.com shift to claim your spot. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. We've had to weed through hundreds of applications in the past. We could have saved so much time if we'd used Indeed. The themes are critical and so often people make these vast assumptions about what is or isn't working and or why they're not converting for any given reason. And I can think of two scenarios that came up just yesterday with clients and I won't name names, so don't worry that you I'm- You know who them. you are though, if it's true. <laughs> <laughs> now, one person had- done kind of the classic, oh shit, shit, shit. I have been putting this out here and I've been telling people and I've been firm and confident and talking about my new price. And the last three people told me it was too expensive. I must rethink everything about my pricing. And it's like, wait a second. First of all, how did we arrive at your price in the first place? Like, can you even lower it? Is that even an option at all? Because there's usually a reason you landed on the price in the first place. Yep, especially
1: if you went through our calculator and got our feedback on your price and it's actually built on facts and what you actually need. So unless those things have changed.
0: Right, so that's one piece of the puzzle. Piece number two is, why are we making gross assumptions? And when I say gross, I mean like you're making... An assumption about everyone based on a small percentage of feedback. And so you're taking three data points and saying that applies to everyone in the pipeline. And that's not true either. So, like, that's also not helpful. And I'm not saying after, you know, when we're talking about a small pool of people coming through your sales pipeline. Three people can be a trend. So I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to it. Right. But that doesn't mean we need to overreact in any sort of situation. And we really need to like peel back the layers to understand what's really going on here. Well, and the cool part about
1: this particular case, without getting into too many of the details, but typically it's okay when this happens, right? The gut reaction is to think I need to lower my price, I need to change up my offer so that I can land more clients because clearly people are saying no. And she was definitely going through that like catastrophizing, like, oh, well, what I don't want to happen is my busy season. And all of a sudden I've lost like 15 deals. And so her brain went from three to 15, even though 15 is completely hypothetical. She literally pulled that number out of the air and made it up and assumed that she would just be losing all of those 15. So that we're not going to do that because that doesn't actually serve us. It doesn't actually help us. But like in the breakdown of talking about why those people said no, she realized that the people who had said yes early in the year versus the people who said no later in the year. We're two completely different tiers of people who she was pitching to. So, you know, we brought it up here on the show before where we're like, maybe instead of reaching the department specifically that you're going to be helping, who's their boss or their boss's boss or the owner of the company, or right? How can you move up the chain? You get typically a decision faster and the budget is a little bit more... It's a bigger and it's a little bit more clear, and things move faster. And so she realized that all three of the people who had said no were lower level contacts within organizations that she'd worked with higher level people before. So I'm like, well, then stop talking to those people, just talk to the higher level
0: people again. Right. And sometimes that's a little bit out of your control. And I'm not opposed to meeting people where you're at, but in her particular situation, her costs, she can't change her costs without dramatically changing her deliverable. And for a service-based business owner, typically you have more control over pulling back one deliverable or a piece of a deliverable and you have a much wider play zone versus with her, you know, unless she's making a completely alternate offer with completely different deliverables, I'm not sure how much you could reduce her price point. For hard costs, and so that definitely adds a limitation to things. And so, unless you're literally willing to walk away with less profit, which sometimes you are, then it doesn't always make sense. Now, someone else was having a cash flow kind of crunch and feeling the pressure of that, and thinking that all of a sudden they had got bad at their job, (laughs) And (laughs) and like assuming that they were now not as good at selling and perhaps their skills were slipping and, you know, making gross over assumptions about their own performance, which generally speaking, we talk about how you have to untie your personal self-worth from how your business is performing. And if you don't, then you're going to get in a funk and it's going to affect you in so many different ways. And in her particular case, she was feeling a certain way after a down month, but it really was more of a down and then up month. And if you average the two, things were still fine, one. And two, she had actually dramatically improved her close rate, like dramatically, but she had less leads on the front end. And so if you turn the faucet even just a little bit off at the very, very top stage you will get less sales all the way through the pipeline, which is why when people have lead issues, we talk about focusing on the prospect funnel. And so she realized she was getting about a quarter less leads than she had even this time two years ago. And it's like, well, if you have the quarter of the same people going through, oh, oh my gosh, I can't talk. You know, if you 40 <laughs> people going through in a month and now all of a sudden you have 10, uh-huh. you're going to get less sales. you yep, just oh how that works. But her close rate. But what we say to do
1: is when leads are naturally less and you look at that prospect funnel instead to vet those people faster, nurture them, get them through your experience so that if they are an ideal fit, they will convert. Bet more often in the actual sales pitch, which is what she's seeing.
0: Yeah. And so for her, when she really backed it out, she realized, you know, she had made some improvements to other parts of her sales process. And since working with us in the spring to really hone it in and reduce the amount of time in the sales process, simplify the sales, simplify the sales process, really get clear and create a really consistent experience. Her clothes weight went from 46, almost 47% to 86 and some change percent. So almost 87%. So from 47 to 87, a 40% conversion improvement is literally insane bananas within a couple months,
1: bananas,
0: bananas. And that's what we tell
1: you is like, okay, if there's less leads in front of you, then you need to try to convert more of them who actually make sense. And that's the process that she actually streamlined. So getting leads is sometimes one of the biggest thing that's out of your control, right? Like we all know it, right? You do different things that are going to spur connections and leads being put in front of you. And outside of like continuing to do the things, there's not much you can do. You can't make people hop on the call with you. You can't make people be ready or whatever it is. The only thing you can do is make sure that as soon as someone does raise their hand, you find out very quickly whether they're an ideal client get the information that you need from them, find out their problem and get your solution in front of them and get them put through an experience that makes them say yes, if it's a right fit, that those are the only pieces of this puzzle that you can control. And so when we're in a space where all of it feels so much out of our control, the ability to see this change by making changes that are in your control, I think feels really empowering.
0: Yeah, it's really reassuring because when we're looking at, the front of funnel it's easy to get caught up in your overall results right it's easy to like look at revenue from month to month to month and when there's a dip then you think you messed up and it's like okay as long as your conversion metrics are the same or improving then the only thing that's really changing is traffic yep and so if that's the case then we're going to have to like spend some time there. Sure. But at the end of the day, you may or may not be able to make a change there. Well, and this is
1: the other part of this conversation I want to have. And I know this client specifically is not the only one. And I really, really want you guys to do some self reflection on this. So she shared with us the amount of leads she got in 2020, 2021 and 2022. And before looking at her leads, how she had told us 2020 went, it was her best year ever. It was her busiest year. Everything felt messy, crazy, overwhelming, stressed. She was just doing all the things, right? Because, oh my God, leads were plentiful. Clients were plentiful. So I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to do it. Sometimes there are moments in our business where that is still fun, even though it's exhausting and we do it and all that's great, but that's not sustainable, right? The effects of certain businesses in 2020 were a bubble. They were a pandemic bubble. And to expect the results of 2020, whether they were good or bad, to be the same year after year after year isn't appropriate. That was a pandemic year, as in it was the start of it, the bubble of it, right? And so a lot of businesses had ridiculous growth and ridiculous losses. But we live in this concept. And I just saw this amazing video the other day. It was about, I don't want to get like banned in places. So <laughs> when I'm talking bad about certain apps, like sometimes I don't want to say their name because I don't want like it to get caught in the internet. So, you know, the app that you scroll on that has pictures, not videos, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. The camera app. So that one, someone who works their high up, I'm, I'm not going to say their title because I don't exactly know, is on Twitter, right? And says shit on Twitter. And people are like, dude shut up. And so he's talking about the features of the app and the changes that they made full on recognizing that they're garbage changes and they're not what the user wants, right? And so that conversation is not new in that world for that app. Well, this particular tweet, (laughs) this video was breaking down how, oh, he said the quiet part out loud. And it's where like you say the thing that you should keep to yourself out loud to your team or to the internet or to whatever. And so the tweet was basically like, this feature is garbage and we know you hate it, but it makes us more money. So we're going to keep doing it. If we want to continue to see growth, then we need to keep doing it. And so the breakdown of the video was... I, as a consumer, don't care about your growth. I literally don't care. It is not my responsibility to care. It's not my responsibility to lessen my experience on this app for the sake of your growth. If I don't like it anymore, I'm going to leave. And that's what's going to happen. But the breakdown of the actual like concept that they were talking about is this very capitalistic ideal that businesses, especially big businesses, need to see growth year after year after year. And when I say, I mean, billions of dollars of growth is what these companies are seeing. And I think someone phrased it really nicely in the comments when, oh, it was like BP and the whole oil spill happened. And there are so many aftershocks of that, of how BP, quote unquote, lost billions. And they're like, literally when companies say that, when they make that much money, when I lost billions, they just didn't make those billions. They still made other billions. They just did not make these also because they weren't growing, but they're still making a shit ton of money. And so I say that I know like we're not in the billions and we're not in the corporation. That's what I'm talking about here. But we learn those growth ideals from those companies and put them onto
0: us. Yeah. And part of that, the thing that's weird about it is these businesses are publicizing this information because they're publicly traded companies. Right. right. So they are. Responsible to their shareholders, and thus have to make a lot of this information public because anyone can buy shares, i.e., why they're a publicly traded company. But when you're a privately held company, which I'm going to just make a large assumption that, that yours is 99% of you listening are private, and thus. I don't know where you got the idea that you have to be publicizing if you're growing or not at all. You're not required to tell anyone. No. Other than you do have to report your taxes to the government. (laughs) Yeah, the government knows. (laughs) The government knows. But in the grand scheme of things, you know all the nuances behind the scenes, but you don't Mm -hmm. owe anyone any sort of explanation for the financial decisions you make internally inside your company. And to assume that a company can just grow exponentially every single year is not only completely ridiculous, but it is impossible. If you look at the stock market, there's a reason it goes up and down. There's a reason businesses that have been around hundreds of years still close. There's a reason businesses blow up and then disappear. And that will continue to happen. But on the private side of things, If your goal is sustainability and your goal is to really create a lifestyle for yourself, then we can be looking at sales strategies with a more timeless lens. We're not always after a massive improvement. No. And I want you to feel so good about (laughs) striving for more of the same. Yes. Because a lot of you would be like, if I can do more of the same and maybe work a little less, fantastic. Okay, great. I feel like that's the majority of our clients. And we, over time, are helping them improve their sales process, really get a handle on their pricing so that they can charge a bit more of a premium, intentionally work with less people, make more money. But because they're working with less people, they have less work typically, and they can make changes accordingly with their time. Anyway, it just makes me heated. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. And I just, I find
1: it so interesting because the reason why I bring up stories about billion dollar app companies is because every time I'm sitting in coaching and we're talking about selling or pricing or leads or, you know, lack of confidence to say this thing to a client or whatever. And it's just this very interesting conversation of like the comparison that we don't realize that we're doing, I think is ultimately what it comes down to. And I think everyone talks about comparisonitis in the sense of like, you're comparing yourself to direct competitors, like other marketing agencies or other social media managers or whatever it might be. And could you be doing that on some level? Sure. But I think Honestly, like you're comparing yourself to banks and to apps and to target and to, you know all of these places that have these ridiculous business models that isn't yours, access to capital and funding, it, a completely different space in the market than you are. And so I every time when we start with refinement for us and we start asking ourselves these same questions, Where's the traffic coming from of the tra- Like what's our biggest traffic source that actually fills out a lead capture form, right? Of those people, right? We ask ourselves the same fucking questions, but we also do it with the lens of, okay, if the biggest traffic source for us to get leads who were actually the most qualified was X, did we like doing that? Did that feel good? Did it feel fun and easy for our company and for our team to do? Or do we want to pour energy into refining a different part of the process so that's not the actual
0: source, right? And that's the piece I want you to be mindful of. In these bigger businesses, people have such siloed, yes. specific jobs yes. that they get to pay attention to one metric or yep. one like piece of the puzzle for very long periods of time. And as the CEO of your company, your focus naturally shifts and changes because you're the CEO and you're trying to pay attention to what needs the most attention in the company. And sometimes that's making revenue and sometimes it's not. And so if you've been in a season where you were focused on something else and then you're like, Oh shit, shit. Now I need to do this thing over here. Why are we beating ourselves up that you literally were doing your job and focusing on the thing that needed to be the number one priority in the season you were just in. And okay, now we're shifting our focus. So what do we need to do to shift our focus? And what is that going to require of you? And sometimes it does mean showing up more or harder or whatever, but the goal is that is a season. And that you have control over pulling that throttle more or less. Yeah. And you get to be in charge. But what's cool is if you look at our client
1: who increased her close rate 40%, right? She now knows, okay, well, if I want to actually make more money, then I need more leads because I know I have a kick-ass sales process that's going to convert a majority of them. And so she only has to turn that dial up a little bit go to one event, reach out to some connectors, have a couple coffee dates. And I guarantee her pipeline could be full and closing and she could be booked out like that. So
0: she knows where her next attention needs to be because she streamlined this. Yeah. I think so often you guys are so much closer. Yes. Than you realize. And you're just always assuming it has to be this massive mountainous terrain to get right. the other side right. and it doesn't always have to be that hard is owning a business challenging yeah totally like it has it's, it's own. literally the hardest thing I've ever done and be honest with you but you know what it's like the things that also affords like the day yeah. I'm like really mad about it like ah, why do I do this and then mm-hmm you walk into an office that maybe you used to work in, not that this has ever happened to me or anything. And you're just like, Oh damn, I don't work in a cubicle anymore. Like I don't sit here unnecessarily at three o'clock on a Friday. Just to be clocked in just to be there, you know? And so it affords you a life And like, let's spend more time being grateful for those things. I I feel like this has gotten into really ranty, but I really do (laughs) want to give you guys some tangible takeaways on improving your sales and your sales strategies. And so if I can give you some quick advice, one, spend some time if you haven't already start tracking every lead. I'm not saying, I'm not saying everyone who signs up for your email list, everyone who's like actually shown interest in your service. So like they filled out your lead capture form or they filled out your application or however you're collecting that information. Anyone who is going through your sales process needs to be documented, period, period. And you need to know and understand what parts of the process are working And what parts of the process need improvement? And sometimes they only need improvement because it bothers you, not because there's like a metric that needs to change. Like I have had at times our waitlist, just someone would submit it. But then on the back end, it meant I had to like pick through and follow up with every single person. And I decided I'd rather have a call with them and then decide at that point, rather than trying to set the call basically immediately after they fill out a form. And so I made a change to the sales process for nothing other than my own personal convenience. And so you can do those things too. You can change parts of your sales process for your convenience. There's absolutely been pieces of our sales process that were always sales calls before and then they got moved to DMs or it was on a webinar and now it's you know in a completely different Regard, but we changed it based on personal preference. But at the end of the day, as you're focusing on improving these different checkpoints, the thing I want you to be mindful of is one, out there in the internet worlds, most people are talking about improving conversions from a digital sales perspective. They're not talking about it from a service perspective. And so a lot of the advice and information you're getting about lead and nurture funnels and lead magnets and email and all of this crap is not (laughs) that effective for your sales model period. And instead, if you focused on real relationships and treating every lead as an actual human being that has thoughts, feelings, and ideas, you can show up for people yourself as a real human and share bits and pieces of your life and not only enjoy your sales process more because you develop real relationships and real friendships out of it, but you also get to feel more connected to your people. And I know so many of you are craving that. Yep, absolutely. So my advice
1: to you to follow up with that is I know we've given a bunch of ideas today or a bunch of different areas that you could look at for refinement. I want you to get the data on all the areas because there's no way for you to know which one needs your attention without looking at all of the pieces. Because what you're going to do, what you're going to do, but what we're not going to do is make an assumption about the area that you need to change, refine, or tweak. Because I need you to have data that actually backs that up so you know where to pay attention. So once you see all of the pieces, you see your traffic, you see the conversion as they drop down into your funnel and you see where is the biggest area of opportunity here, I want you to pick one, just literally one. That's it. And we're going to go all in on refining that one. Do we need automations in place? Do we need systems talking to each other? Do we need more information from this lead, the client, the referral, the whatever? Do we need different action steps to happen in between their journey as they go along through your process? What needs to happen? here to make it better, to improve it, to make it faster, to have it convert higher, whatever it needs, make those changes. And then wait a second, (laughs) you got to have some people go through there to actually get the new data to compare to your old data to see if anything actually changed. And if you need help brainstorming what those changes could be, or having someone come in and even implement those changes for you, we would love to chat with you because we do both of those things. So we can be a sounding board for all the changes you want to make in your business and give you real strategic advice from the insides of multiple successful service-based businesses and what they're doing that's working. Or you can chat with our team on how we can be the sounding board and implement for you in lots of different capacities. So head over to bossproject.com waitlist and give us some info, and we might be reaching out to you and chatting and seeing what all you
0: need. Cool? Yeah, sounds good. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode. Send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it.